What's your dream? What's your goal? What's your motivation? What's important to you? What's your passion? What can you do to change the world? This is What's Involved. Conversations with thought leaders and change makers from around the world. Hear stories of hope and inspiration to help motivate people like you to live your life, find your passion, and live your dream. Together, we can all bring positive change to our world. Now, here's your host, David Watts. And once again, what's involved? And uh, I've got a special, special guest today. But we always we know that. I always have special guests. Uh, who is he, though, and what are we talking about? Uh, he is Professor Mills Soko. And uh, we're going to be chatting about uh, a book that he recently released called South Africa and the World, A Political Economy Journey Through Time. That had me fascinated right at the very beginning. Hello, Mills. How are you doing? Hi, David. Uh, I'm, I'm good. And you? Thank you I, for inviting me to have this conversation with you. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because, you know, oftentimes, and I've been surprised a couple of times now, uh, your, your, your book is one of them that surprised me because normally when I see or hear economics and economies, I switch off because it, then it gets too complicated and I don't understand. Um, but not so with this book. And I think this is, this is a brilliant book and uh, we'll get into why it's a brilliant book uh, during the course of our chat. But let's get to know Mills a little better before we dive into the book. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, Mills, your, your, your background, history, um, and how you ended up with a professorship? Yes, I was um, I was born uh, in uh, in Whitbank, uh, Malafeni. I don't know if you know Whitbank. Uh, oh yes, uh, I know yeah. I know Whitbank well. I, I spent many years living in uh, in Nelspruit. So, yes, yeah, I, I, I was born there. I I grew up there. I went to school there, and um, I, I come from a family of uh, of four, um, and. Um, I uh, I matriculated in 1987 uh, in Whitbank, and then I went on to to study at UCT. Uh, it was a very difficult time um, at UCT those days, at the height of apartheid. Uh, I became a student activist at UCT, and um, I uh, when I finished my studies, I went uh, uh, for a while at UCT under the leadership of Dr. Mampela Rampele. She was a deputy vice chancellor uh, at the university then. And I, I went uh, uh, on to join the, um, the private sector. I worked for All Mutual. Uh, I had a short stint there, but uh, I didn't like uh, the private sector, ironically. And I, I decided I was going to work in government. And I, I got a job in parliament. Uh, you know, in the early 1990s, uh, that was 1994, to be precise, uh, during the years of Nelson Mandela and Thabo Mbeki, it was a very ex- exciting time because we're all involved uh, in, in um, uh, you know, facilitating the transition from apartheid to a democracy. And it's a very hopeful time. Uh, I had a ringside seat to what was happening, uh, writing speeches, preparing policy documents, and also having the leadership to uh, draft uh, new legislation to replace old apartheid legislation. And then I became bored subsequently uh, working in, in, in government. So I decided to uh, to continue my studies, uh, starting with Stellenbosch University. I did my MA, International Studies there, and then I went on to do another MA and a PhD 
in the UK uh, at, at the University of Warwick. And, and when I came back, um, I, um, I joined a UCT Graduate School of Business as a, as a senior lecturer. Um, and I was there for many years, uh, the last two years as a director of the school. And uh, I was, uh, uh, 2019, I joined Vets Business School as a professor of international business strategy. So in a, in a nutshell, that's my, uh, that's my uh, uh, career and personal journey. And it, it has been quite a journey. I mean, when, I, when I'm thinking about it, when you were saying that, uh, you know, you, you were matriculated and, and went to varsity in, in 1987. I mean, that yes. was, as you say, that was in the, the really hectic days um, of, of apartheid and what was happening. Yes. And at, at that time, we, I don't think anybody from, from any political party or organization thought there would be a peaceful ending to it. And, and thank goodness it, it happened. Um, but Mills, so it sounds to me like you've always had this, this fascination for economy, uh, the politics, business, and, and how everything works. Were you always a, a, an inquisitive child? I was always an inquisitive child. Uh, David, my, my parents, uh, you know, they noticed that uh, long ago. And, and uh, my dad used to set money aside. You know, I came from a very poor family, but, you know, he always made the point of setting money aside for me to, uh, to buy newspapers on Sunday, um, City Press, you know, Sunday Times. So I used to read uh, avidly. And I also used to write uh, regularly, uh, you know, to, to newspapers like the Sowetan, City Press, Sunday Times. During those days, you know, we, you, you wrote, uh, uh, you know, we didn't have uh, laptops and all that. So, you, so you, you had to use your pen to write and then go to the post office and, and post the, the letter, whatever concern you had, and then it got published. And uh, I remember uh, the editors of, uh, of these uh, two newspapers, the, the Sowetan and City Press, you know, Pesit Koboza was editor of City Press and, and uh, Agri Klasti was editor of Sowetan. So they realized this, uh, this bloke always writes, you know, he just writes, you know, he, he never stops. And so they invited me to the offices of, uh, of, the, <laughs> of, of both newspapers to meet me, just to see me and, 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 and to understand what really uh, made me tick. But I've always had this interest. And that's why uh, when I worked in government, that interest was, was, uh, it was increased, you know, because when I worked in government, um, we, we dealt with a whole range of issues, international trade, um, international law. Uh, we, we dealt with a state-to-state relations. And, and so that really, really uh, increased my interest in international affairs. And that's why I decided to go uh, to the UK you know, to study international political economy, to understand how everything, uh, be it in politics, uh, uh, you know, law, uh, economics and business, how those hang together. Okay, but then what led to the book? I mean, I'm, you're a writer. Let's let's just take that. And and I I, I kind of almost uh, got a lump in my throat when you mentioned Agri Cluster. That man was an absolute <laughs> yes, legend, yes, absolute legend. legend. Um, but now, what led to this book, South Africa and the World? Um. And this, this book came about as a 
result of a conversation I, I had with a, a, a colleague and friend, uh, Professor Mzugusikobo, who is the head of uh, the VET School of Governance. Um, it, we were sitting outside uh, uh, Starbucks in, in, in uh, having coffee uh, in, in Rosebank. And he, he said to me, uh, you know, I, I think you should write a book. And I said, why? He said, no, there's so much you have to offer. Um, Mzugisi, I had met him for the first time, David, when I was doing the first year of my doctoral studies at Warwick University. And I'd gone to the Department of Trade and Industry to do research interviews. He was a DTI official um, you know, in, the, in the department, and I had tea with him. And, so, and he subsequently also completed his doctorate at Warwick. And he said to me, I've followed your public writings over the last 20 years. And I think, you know, there's so much you have to offer. You need to share your insights with a broader public. And um, that was just uh, before the outbreak of COVID-19. And, uh, and I, I listened to him and I thought the idea was a good one. And the COVID forced me to implement it. Uh, and, and, and COVID broke out. And I decided I'm going to write this book. So I spent a large part of the COVID, the early you know, years of, uh, of COVID, uh, early months of COVID, uh, writing this book. So it's a, it's a book that chronicles my uh, political economy journey. Uh, and it is a book that straddles uh, various themes, uh, consists of eight chapters, uh, themes ranging from leadership and governance, um, uh, politics, uh, business ethics, the South African economy, global governance, African development, South African and international trade. And it, 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 the central message that I, I seek to convey in the book is that leadership and governance matter, be it in the national or international context. Leadership uh, and governance matter. And this is a theme that uh, permeates all the chapters. Mm, okay. I tell you what, I want, I want to get into this a little bit more. So what we're going to do, Mills, is uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit, uh, a bit more about this and, and have a look at some of the contents of the book. This is What's Involved. My special guest is Mills Soko, and uh, we're talking about his fantastic book called South Africa and the World, A Political Economy Journey Through Time. We'll be back in just a bit. You're listening to What's Involved with David Watts. Have you been to our website? Check it out, www.whatsinvolved.com. And while you're there, click on the coffee mug icon and buy David a cup of coffee. He'll love it. And we're back. What's involved it is. My guest is uh, Milford Shoko. We're talking uh, about South Africa and the world, a political uh, economy journey through time. Now, Mills, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a statement to you and uh, we can see if you agree with me or not. And and. The statement is, is in a couple of parts. So the first part is when you, you, you harked back to your time in government in, in 1994. And that was a great time. I was a proud South African at that time. And um, for me, it, it was strange because I grew up in the apartheid era. Um, I, was, I was forced to do military service and uh, spent a lot of my time against my will in, in, uh, in townships and you know, we were all being told it was uh, the end of days. That was in the same time that you were there. Um, and uh, then we get to 1994. Everything happens. There's a smooth transition. And we're all hopeful. It's the rainbow nation. We can do anything. And yet today, here I sit. 
And I feel like that rainbow has gotten tarnished. And I feel like we have been failed by our government. Is, is that a fair comment? It's a very fair comment, uh, David. Um, we, there's a sense of uh, apprehension uh, uh, you know, across the country, a sense of uh, disappointment, um, a sense of anger about what has happened. And I can uh, remember very well myself working with the, what is called the class of 1994, the Nelson Mandela's, uh, the, the Beckys, the, we, there was so much hope when I worked in parliament. We worked very hard. We wanted to rebuild this country after decades of apartheid. And uh, this is a country with enormous potential, but it is a country that has been failed by the leadership. And it, you know, at the heart of our country's troubles, as I as I argue in the book, is uh, is the failure of leadership, a catastrophic failure of leadership. And uh, uh, so I can understand. I can understand why everybody feels so disappointed and angry and apprehensive about 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 the future. And unless we fix um, the leadership question in South Africa. The future does not go well. I would agree with you there. I mean, if I if I look around uh, today, you know, as as we now apparently are entering our fifth wave of of COVID, um, the people in general, the people's lives, haven't improved. You know, and I would think after all of this time, something would have happened. We started off so well, but Mills, I don't think, and 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 you talk about this in the book as well. I don't think yes. we can blame the state of our country or indeed the state of Africa solely on our leadership because the international guys have got a role to play in this. And, and, you know, uh, I've got a feeling and I'm, I'm no economist or, or political uh, person at all, but uh, just me looking at what's happened in our history, you know, the, 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 the guys that came here and colonized the place, they, they, they weren't all moonlight and roses and fluffy bunnies because, you know, they, they, our country and indeed Africa has been used as a great resource basket for these uh, first world countries. David, I, I understand, um, the, you know, the role of history, uh, colonial history and, the, and the, uh, the legacy, you know, that it has left. But... We should not uh, look for excuses. A, a lot of the problems that African countries, including South Africa, that face today, you know, they're self-induced problems. Uh, yes, there is a role, uh, you know, for the international community, international capital, which uh, continues to have a stranglehold over many countries. But I would say a large share of the problems are self inflicted problems. Basic things, you cannot blame the colonial powers for the failure to fix potholes, for the failure to fix your education system. You know, we are a very wealthy country by African standards. And we spend as a share of GDP on education, a lot of money compared with our peers, uh, whether it's Brazil or India, but the output uh, is very, very disappointing. There are issues about uh, ESCOM, uh, electricity supply. ESCOM used to be a highly admired company globally. 
And uh, it used to produce electricity, not only for South Africa, but for other uh, countries on the, on the continent. You know, we had excess in electricity supply. So when you look at the state of ESCOM today, it's completely, completely unacceptable. And that has got nothing to do with colonial powers or international communities. It's got to do with leadership and governance. When you look at Dinell, let's take another state-owned enterprise, Dinell. Dinell used to be a really, really admired company, which uh, uh, was which ranked amongst the best, you know, in the defense industry, amongst the uh, the best, including Israeli companies, American companies, Turkish companies, producing top of the range military. Hardware, you know, the, the Roy Falk helicopter, one of the most innovative uh, products produced and highly admired, produced by Dinell. But when you look at the state of Dinell today, it's completely pathetic. So, what is the problem? The problem we know, uh, as the Zondo Commission uh, has clearly demonstrated, uh, we have had um, unacceptable leadership, very, very poor, dismal leadership uh, over the, the last. Uh, 10 years or so, and that's what we've got to face. Uh, you know, we, we, we cannot blame all these problems on the, on, outside, on the outside world. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad that you said that because, you know, it, 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 you, you make a valid point. And as you were talking, I remember a little while ago, I saw um, it, was, it made front page of, it could have been the star or something in the, in the sort of 1970s that... Uh, Joburg um, had experienced a 15-minute blackout. Yes. And people were horrified, you know, because yes. this is just <laughs> something that's not done. Now, <clears throat> I mean, now we, we, we're sitting talking, I'm talking to you, wondering um, if the power is going to go off because invariably um, it never goes off when they say it does. And I, we stay in a sort of a... Uh, at, at a more kind of rural part in Pretoria East. So, you know, if the wind blows in the wrong direction, we have no power. So it's amazing to think that from those days we've gotten to where we are. And Danelle <laughs> as well. I mean, you know, as you say, the technology was right up there and, and what they produced, what they manufactured, the innovation. We talk about, about the G6, you talk about the, the Roy Falk, um, some of the, the night vision stuff that they that they produced was being sold around the world, uh, and uh, now it's it's a mess. So, how how did we get to this place, Mills? Because yeah. you know we've got to as as you know, as citizens of this country, we've got to take responsibility for some of it ourselves yes. because yes. we let it happen. Yes. Two points I want to make, David, very important uh, um, question you are, you're asking. I think, first of all, we should not fall into the trap of, uh, you know, that befell other African countries because national decay, you know, does not happen immediately. It takes, it evolves. Uh, as you say, um, you know, when those, those in the 1970s, when there was a blackout, 15 minutes, everybody was horrified. Uh, we, were, we were horrified when we first experienced load shedding in this country. But it has become normalized. And this is where the danger is, you know, where when the traffic lights don't, don't operate, it's seen as something that is normal. You know, um, we accept the reality that there will be load shedding. There shouldn't be load shedding. So we have to make sure that we put pressure 
on the leadership of this country, on the government to fix the problem. It should not become normalized. This should never become uh, the reality of our lives. Because if we allow that to happen, then we'll become like the Zimbabwe's, the Guinea-Bissau's, uh, the, the Nigeria's of this world. So we should not allow that. The second point, uh, we, we have it within our power as the electorate to change things. And uh, you are correct that we cannot blame all the problems on the leadership of this country. We have to take responsibility ourselves because the ANC government has been voted successively, overwhelmingly by the majority of this country. And uh, I'm glad that South Africans are beginning to realize that uh, the future of this country does not lie with the ANC. The future of this country lies elsewhere. And we saw that in the local government elections uh, where the ANC experienced um, a, a dramatic uh, decrease in, um, in the electoral support from South Africans. And I, I, you know, I have a feeling, very strong feeling that this is going to be the case again in 2024. And so it should be. We should not um, allow uh, the ANC to run this country to the ground. And, and, and I, I hope that we will ensure that this does not happen in 2024. We've seen enough. We've seen enough that shows that, and I say in my book, the future of this country does not lie with the ANC. David, this country has many, many talented people, highly qualified, highly capable, but those people are not running this country. So we need to ensure that we create in future a government that will draw on the best talents of this country. You know, not on the mediocrity and the failed uh, leadership that we see, completely inept, completely incompetent. Um, we need to get rid of this government uh, in 2024 and build a new future for our country. Mm, now, you see, you, you mentioned that in a, a little while ago. Um, I yeah. think it was uh, Ralph Matecha who uh, wrote yes. a book about the ANC's last decade. Um, yes. And, and you know, I said to him, and, I, and I'll say it to you again, is that I think generally people will agree the ANC as it stands isn't working. Yes. But the problem that I have is that our options also aren't that great. You know, um, so somewhere along the line, something has got to happen um, whereby we, we, we get, you know, it's, I'm tired of the same old rhetoric, whether whichever yes. political party it is, um, you know, we've passed the time when we should still have, uh, I, I think people that have, that have sort of believe in, in communist uh, ideology and things like that. And, and you're right. South Africa is full of the most amazing people. And I often get asked, you know, uh, when I see people leaving the country and they go, well, you know, country's going to the dogs. And I'm like, I'm never going to leave. I love this country and yes. leaving is not the answer. You know, yeah. um, it, it's not because then we become part of the problem. And then we sit in another country as miserable as can be. And uh, we talk about how bad South Africa is and it's, it's nonsense because yes, it's bad, but it's not that bad. You know, it's, 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 it's bad, but we still have amazing talent and resources. Do you foresee Mills maybe, Another political party rising to the top or a, a hybrid or, 
you know, I mean, if, if the ANC did what they said they were going to do and, and cleaned out everything and said, right, here we go, we are being held accountable, I would be happy. I would be as happy as can be, and I would put my cross there once again. Yeah. But they failed us a lot. Yeah. David, uh, you, you made a, a very important point uh, about how great this country is. I, I personally, like you, I would never leave this country because – I've been uh, elsewhere in the world, uh, and I know what it's like being out there. Uh, I was in a conversation yesterday um, with uh, one of the founders of the Nando's. Nando's, you know, Nando's. Uh, uh, <laughs> and um, he, he mentioned that, you know, he was calling from, the, from Washington. And, uh, and he said, you know, I love my country. I love South Africa. I'm in Washington now. And... Um, I've been talking to the leadership here in Washington, D.C., and the problems that the United States has. They pay, you know, he says our problems in South Africa, they pale into significance when I listen to what is going on here in the States. And they had been to other countries uh, also where Nando's operates. And he said, look, let us fix South Africa. Let us fix Johannesburg. We can do it. We need to take control, right? Business, civil society, we need to take control. We need to work with this government, however imperfect it is, but we need to drive the change. We need to drive, um, you know, uh, you know the, the, the reforms uh, in the country. I think that our political landscape has, uh, is changing, um, uh, David. You know, we've seen a, a proliferation of, of political parties, uh, you know, being, uh, uh, you know, parties being brought into existence, uh, we have the Hemen Mashaba, you know, we have, uh, we have the EFF, we have other, other political parties. You know, we have uh, at local government level, you know, we have ratepayers association now, associations uh, being actively involved uh, in politics. So uh, it's very encouraging to see this political landscape becoming diversified. And uh, I, I think that uh, we should give a, uh, uh, some of these parties a chance, you know. I would, uh, you know, Mashaba must be given a chance. You know, we've given the DA a chance, uh, we've given a, uh, the ANC a chance, we, and so we should give Mashaba and other political parties that will emerge that demonstrate that they have the capability, you know, to to govern and they have the the best interests of this country at heart. But I also think that we should not rely on political parties. We are very blessed, David, to have such a, a, a powerful uh, non-state sector. Uh, our, our, our business sector is amongst the, the best you know, in the world. You know, our companies, we have world-class companies. When I look at our companies here and I compare them with companies in other countries, in a competitor countries like Brazil and India, we have world-class companies. We have... Uh, we, we need to draw on the, and these companies are playing a very important part, you know, in, a, in, a, in, in helping us, you know, in this country, you know, through COVID, uh, you know, through the pay taxes, the uh, corporate social investment, skills training, and also helping the government. So we, we need to, uh, and this is what I always say to business leaders, you need to take control of your destiny. You need to demonstrate leadership. You cannot defer to government. You know, you need to demonstrate leadership because we have what it takes. So, uh, and the same applies to, to NGOs, uh, to think tanks, 
and, and, and many other non-state actors. So we are very blessed to have such a strong non-state sector in this country. And this is what has kept this country going, which other countries don't have on the African continent. The reason the decline was so dramatic in many African countries is because they did not have a strong non-state sector. And a very good example of that is what we're seeing uh, you know, in, our, you know, in the north, our neighbor, Zimbabwe. Yeah, I'd like to get into the, the, the business side of things just a little bit as well. Uh, let's do that when we come back. This is what's involved. My special guest, uh, Professor Mil Soko, uh, author of South Africa and the World, A Political Economy Journey Through Time. Back in a bit. We'll be right back with more What's Involved. David would love to hear from you. To leave a voice message, visit whatsinvolved.com and click Drop Me a Voice Note. And we're back with uh, Mills Soko, my special guest. Um, Mills, yeah, so, so one of the things, and, and I've touched on this with a couple of other people that I've spoken to, though, is um, yeah. we have a fantastic document which yes. tells us what South Africa should be and how it should be. And the, 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 the Freedom Charter, the Bill of Rights, our Constitution, these to me are fantastic documents um, yes. And once again, those ideas, those principles seem to have, you know, been forgotten and dropped by the wayside. And, and, and when you talk business, yeah, we've got great businesses here. Um, yes. But uh, we've, we've seemed to have developed this, this apathy. And I'm, I'm right up there, okay? I'm right up there. And, and I, I, I try to use the small voice I have to, to bring these issues to light. But... You know, like you say, load shedding. I mean, we joked about it just now on the way into the office this morning. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was driving around potholes. We make yeah. we make jokes that you know that the the the, the eyes that you see uh, in the road at night are not actually cat's eyes anymore. It's a giraffe that's fallen into a pothole, <laughs> and we sit and we go, the ANC sucks. This is bad. This is bad. But we are not getting motivated in big business. I also think that, that, that because maybe because they're businesses, but they focused very much on their own stuff, you know, and, and I don't know, is there, is there this, this crossover, this cross pollination? Yes. During COVID they were brilliant, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm lost here. And, and I, I don't have an answer except to say, I believe in this country and I believe in its people. What do you say to that? Yeah. David, the, the- I've been uh, I've been critical of, uh, of of the business sector in this country, and and uh, you can you can you can read my writings on that. But I'm also uh, appreciative of the role that the business sector has played. Sometimes not publicly, um, behind the scenes, so, you know, in in keeping this country together. Had it not been for the business sector. Uh, in, in this country, our, our collapse would, would have been even more precipitous. The business sector plays a very, very important part in this country, in, a, in, in holding this country uh, together. What I've been saying is that they need to be more proactive, they, know, they need to be more assertive. And uh, I was very glad to see Busisiwe uh, Mavuso. Uh, taking a stance on this issue of ESCOM when, when she appeared before SCOPA last week, you know, the CEO of a business leadership South Africa. And business needs to speak up and needs to be more assertive. And, and that's what some of the leaders 
uh, are doing now. But I, I just want to say um, there's a lot that the business sector does behind the scenes. You know, it, 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 simple things like in Sentin where some companies, they fix their potholes. You and I are, are not aware of them, but I've got to know them through my association uh, with a business, you know, businesses um, and as a professor of international business. So I spend a lot of time talking to business leaders and business executives. There's a lot of things that they're doing that make up for the failures uh, of the of the government. I think what uh, frustrates the business sector is a, is the, the failure of government to implement policies. So you spoke about all these uh, lovely documents, the constitution, the national development plan. We have fantastic blueprints, David. You know, we, we our policies are very good policies, but there's been a failure of, of, um, of implementation because of the problems that we've had over the years, you know, largely revolving around leadership and governance. So when I talk about governance, uh, for instance, I'm talking about the public service. Uh, when you look at the development plan, it talks about building a professional, capable, ethical public service. But nothing has happened. You know, we countries that do very well, and we saw that during COVID, that, that do very well are countries with strong, capable, competent public sectors, you know, like China, like Singapore, like the Scandinavian countries, like Germany, they did very well during COVID because of the strong public service. And we don't have that. So there's been a lot of talk. We're about the only country that talks about building a, a, an ethical, competent public service, but nothing happens. And when you ask the question why, you'll see the answer is there's no political will to build a strong public service in this country. So that is a governance issue. The leadership issue, David, I always joke uh, that uh, uh, successive ANC leaders, uh, you know, they like to flock to, to China to uh, on a, a fact-finding missions and, 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 and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But I, I've yet to know exactly what it is that they learn when they go there. Because if you're talking about leadership and talking about execution capabilities, the ability to implement policies, China is a very good example of that. Singapore, the very good example of that. Japan, I don't know what our leaders go there for, you know, because they don't internalize those lessons. When you look at the cabinet in China, you will never ever rise to the top. You'll never rise to the top, David, if you don't have the necessary experience, administrative, uh, uh, political, uh, technical experience. Those people who are the apex of leadership in China, they represent the top leadership. They are tried and tested. So you never rise to the top. You never get into cabinet the way in this country getting into cabinet like Mosebenz is one, but nothing, nothing to offer this country. So we need to uh, focus on the collaborations between business and other non-state actors and government. And there's a great deal of goodwill on the part of business to make this country work. But it, the, the country has been failed by political leadership. And I'm sorry to harp on that because that's the reality of the situation, right? Yeah. The political leadership has failed this country tremendously. Indeed, it has. Uh, Mills, we're running out of time, which I, I 
always seem to do when we get into great discussions <laughs> like this. Uh, yes. When we come back, uh, we're going to wrap up and uh, finish up with uh, Mills Shoko about uh, his book, South Africa and the World, the Political Economy Journey Through Time. We'll be back in just a bit. This is What's Involved. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. More next. And we're back, wrapping it up with my guest, uh, Mills Soko. Mills, so in your book, you take us on a journey, and, and we haven't gone through half of the book yet. Um, yeah. But uh, I think we've spoken in broad strokes about the contents of the book. This is a book that I recommend you should read, whether you're into e economics or not, but just so that you can see that there are people like Mills out there that are taking the time to think about and analyze these things and, and come up with solutions. Now, Mills, talking about solutions, so what can we do? So if, if somebody's listening to the show, whether they're in business, uh, they're a small business, they, they may not even be in business, uh, what can we do? Where do we start? Because I think that's the big problem. If I think back to the 70s and the 80s and, and the protests and the, and the mass movements, people stood together and, were, and that's what caused the change because they stood up and they said this far and no further. And yet over the, the intervening years, we've kind of gone, it's not okay, but all right, you know, don't expect us to do anything. It's the government. What can we change? Where, where do we start? Yeah, yeah. Uh, David, before I talk about solutions, very quickly, I want to say, uh, you know, this book, is, is about South Africa, but it's also about the world. So it's about South Africa as, as well as South Africa's uh, place in the world. And it, what it demonstrates, amongst other things, is that our problems are not unique. We tend to think that we're exceptional in this country. Our problems are not unique. Other countries face similar problems, but they approach those problems differently. And I think that uh, in this country, we have the solutions and when you look at the national development plan, um, I would encourage people to read, this is available. The national development plan, it sets out in detail the problems that we have and how they should be resolved. And this has been adopted as an official document of the government, but it has not been implemented. So what I think we need in this country, uh, we, we have an abundance of talent, as I say, we need a unified vision which is articulated in the National Development Plan. We need the leadership, both in business, uh, in government, in, a, in the labor sector, in the non-state. We need that leadership, unified vision, which can bring everybody together so we can solve the problems. A lot of these problems are being solved despite the government, uh, uh, David, if I may say, despite the government. They are being solved by South Africans who take it upon themselves to deal with whether it's a local government level, whether it's that school level, whether it's, you know, South Africans have taken this upon themselves to do. But on a, on a, on a national scale, we need a unified vision uh, and we need uh, uh, all the various stakeholders to work together under that unified vision uh, to, uh, to do this. And there are examples of this. A good example I can give now on the African continent is Rwanda under Paul Kagame. You know, they've demonstrated that. They went through a terrible, terrible experience, you know, a, a genocide, a genocide uh, 
you know, when we became a democracy, they were going through a genocide. But look how they've they've pulled themselves by their bootstraps, and they are, you know, it's a country that on a, that is on a a path, you know, to success. And we can do that also, as long as we have that unified unified vision, and also the leadership to implement the national development plan, which is a blueprint which has. They've gone into detail about the the problems that we face, but they also provide solutions. We need the political will to implement that. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm thinking about this, and and you know maybe maybe for me it's 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 I'm, I'm way too optimistic or something, but I firmly believe when we get this right, and we are going to get it right, Africa is going to be the continent that everybody else turns to. And we are going to become the next superpower as long as we don't sort of vote in somebody like a Trump. Because for so many years, the, 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 the states was, was held up as this absolute ideal of what democracy should be. And then they voted in somebody like Trump. And all these other issues came. So you're right in that sense. Um, yes. we're, not, we're not as bad. Okay, There's other people that have had way longer to practice this democracy thing than we have. And they're still yes. screwing it up. So yes. I think that ultimately people will be able to turn to the African continent and to Africa because, again, and I've said this before, I think we have got the most amazing people, and particularly here in South Africa. I fully agree. Uh, and, and we can. We just need to get off our butts and do yeah. it. Now, Mills, before I let you go, uh, one yes. thing I always like to ask my guests is, is what's next? What's next for Mills Soko? Um, you know, there is part of me that's hoping that he's going to say, well, I'm looking at politics again, but you, you tell me. <laughs> um, David, I love politics, um, but I, I think uh, I, I would like to uh, believe that the, what I do best is to nurture the next generation of leaders. So I'm in a very privileged position uh, teaching in a, in a top business school where I get to work with some very, very talented young people. And, and, and it always makes me happy to see how they go on to take up leadership positions, whether it's in government or business uh, in this country and abroad. So I have decided that what I, I can do, uh, uh, what I do best is to nurture the next generation of leaders. And also, I'm also available to provide advice and where we're needed. And, and there are some leaders in government, in business who come to me for advice. And, and I appreciate that. So I am committed to this country. I'm very positive about this country. Like you, I'm very optimistic about the African continent. There are some countries that are doing very well, like Kenya, like Ghana, like Rwanda. And, and we, we, there's no reason we can't do it ourselves. But uh, right now, I don't want to get involved in active politics. <laughs> I'm happy where I am, you know, to nurture the next generation of leaders. Well, you know what, Mills, I think, uh, you know, we, we need people like you. And, and yeah, you're absolutely right, uh, nurturing the next generation. Um, the book, is it uh, it's available online as well as at good bookstores? Yes, it's available uh, uh, bookstores, available online, you know, Amazon. Um, uh, it's also available from uh, Take A Lot. It's widely available. Wonderful stuff. And uh, as I said, this this is this is a great book um, 
from the moment it landed on my desk to, to now when I got to talk to you, I thought this, this book, we need more of this in, in our country and we need more dialogue. We need to talk more because that's yes. also the problem is, 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 you know, we, we all, we fail miserably as, as a population in general in, in communicating with each other and, and, and yes. kind of finding some common ground. Wills, thank you so much. Uh, is there a possibility of another book? It's on the cards. <laughs> Watch this space. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Well, I hope uh, that as soon as it's released, uh, you get to, to chat to me. I'm going to put my request in first for that then. Thank you very much, David. I appreciate, your, I appreciate this opportunity. Wonderful stuff. There we go. Wraps it up uh, for this edition of What's Involved with my special guest, Professor Mills Shoko. Uh, get, get the book. Read it, okay? It's called South Africa and the World, a Political Economy Journey Through Time, and it is incredibly well-written. Even me, who doesn't do economics and politics, <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed this book. Uh, so go out and get it. As I said, it wraps it up. To each and every one of you, look after yourselves, take care, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to What's Involved. We hope this episode inspires you to find your passion and live your dream. Don't forget to rate, review, and share the podcast. And to see what's happening, what's going on, and what's coming, follow What's Involved on Facebook and Twitter at What's Involved. Thanks again for listening.